Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com slash giving. Enjoy the podcast. Determination and passion are something we must have as followers of Christ. And that's what we see also in the life of Elisha. Elisha was a man who served the Lord. He served uh, the older prophet well, and he kept his focus on the promise that God was going to use him in the future as Elijah left this world. Elijah's successor, uh, Elisha, was designated by God. We know that he was called of God already, but yet he had this time that he was waiting before Elijah went on, and then he was going to take his post as the prophet. Let's look together here in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll look at these first couple verses. It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah said to Elisha, Where on, said to Elisha, Where, uh, were on their way, they were on their way from Gilgal. <laughs> I'm sorry. This brain is not working. Verse 2, you've got to laugh at yourself, right? Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The first thing we see here, there's three things I want to pull out this morning, but the first thing is that Elisha refused to be left behind. Do you refuse to be left out of God's blessings? Do you refuse to let God go by without reaching out to touch him? As they headed south towards Bethel, Elijah indicated to Elisha that the Lord wanted him to go all the way to Bethel and to visit the prophetic school there. So he urged Elisha to stay there in that town of Gilgal and uh, this polite, polite form of Elijah's, com- Elijah's command indicates that the prophet's words were permissive. In other words, he wasn't going to make him stay there, but he was allowing him to stay there. He could come if he wanted, but he says, yeah, I'll just stay there. In many ways, he was testing Elisha to see if he was going to be worth his salt. He wanted to see if he was going to stick with him. He wanted to check him out. It was a test for him. He had served the old prophet for some time, and now it was time for him, uh, for his ministry to close, and it was time for Elisha to be able to step up to the plate and to do the work that God had called him to do. It could have been that Elijah sought assurance of the Lord's will in regards to uh, his succession to Elisha, and so he's putting him to the test. He's checking him out. But most likely that test was for Elisha himself because Elisha needed to know that God was going to be with him. He needed to know that the Lord was going to work with him and in his life. And who knows, this may have been the last time that Elijah was going to pass by uh, this way and pass by these schools of the prophets and then he would be gone. So Elisha needed to be able to take care of the business when he was gone. But one thing you can't miss out here in what Elisha says at this point, he says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. 
Elisha wasn't going to leave the old prophet. He wasn't going to let him out of his sight, and he was going to head off to Bethel together with him. So now let's look at what happens in the next couple verses. In verse 3 there, it says, The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. Elisha replied, So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Stay back. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. You see this happening again. And when Elijah and Elisha reached Bethel, a group of these students come around. They gather around there, and they kind of pull Elisha to the side. They don't want to say anything to Elijah uh, but they pull him aside and say, hey, we want to interact with you. What's the deal? Is, is, uh, is Elijah going to be gone today? Is this his last day? And uh, they wanted to know, and he's like, yeah. And uh, he lets it by and says, just be quiet. Don't talk anymore about this. We know that for Elijah himself, he was not the type of person that was a self-gratifying person. The show wasn't about him. He realized that he recognized that his job as a prophet of God was to, to minister to the people and to help the people and to guide them into the truth. And so that's what he did. And he was not going to allow any of the glory that took place come back to him. And so he was going to direct people to the Lord. And so by this time, Elijah has been around for a while. He had learned his lessons. Only the Lord deserved the credit for all his wonders. We find something similar to this in the New Testament when we look at the Apostle Paul because in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent or sufficient in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competency comes from God. See, our sufficiency, our ability to do anything comes from God. Just as Paul kept himself in check, I am sure that the prophet kept himself in check as well. As Elijah prepared to leave Bethel for the school over at Jericho, it's about 14 miles to the southeast and just north of the Dead Sea. Uh, he again gave permission to Elisha to stay behind, and once more, Elisha persistently refused. He's like, no way, I'm not leaving you. He's not going to miss out on the blessings that God had for his life, and while, and while he cared for the older prophet, I'm sure that part of his determination was due to his respect for the older prophet. He wanted to make sure that he had somebody beside him to care for him and to meet his needs as he's going along. Yet he had to have this knowing in his heart that something was going to take place. That at some point, Elijah was leaving. Elijah's test wouldn't keep him away, though. He was unwilling to miss out on God's blessing. This reminds me of back in 1992 in the Summer Olympics. There were two scenarios that took place in those Summer Olympics. One was an American, one was a British person, and they... And the first person was uh, Gail Devers, and she uh, was a sprinter. She was an American, and, sh and she was the leader in the 100-meter hurdles. Now, have any of you ever ran the hurdles before? Who's ran the hurdles? Those are wonderful, aren't they? I can't stand those things. They are hard. You know, it doesn't matter if you have long legs or what. 
the hurdles are tough. And Gail Devers is running the hurdles. She gets to the last hurdle, and she trips over it. She falls on the ground, and she crawls to the finish line getting fifth. She's pretty good for having fallen to the ground. She didn't give up. The interesting thing about Gail Devers is she uh, ended up being a two-time Olympic champion in the 100 meters for the U.S. Then we have another example of another man that ran at this point. It was Derek Redman, and he was, he was a British runner. He was running the 400-meter semifinal. And as he's running around the track, you can see the video if you pull it up at some point, not right now. But, but you can see that, and he's running around the track as hard as he can, and he is rolling. And as he's going around the track, all of a sudden, he tears his hamstring, and he falls, wham, to the ground. And he's, he's on the ground there. He's trying to get himself up, and he gets himself up, and his dad is in the crowd, and his dad comes out of the crowd, and he comes to him. He's going to help him get off of the track. And, and Derek is like, no way, I am not getting off this track. He has just torn his hamstring. And his dad helps him, and he makes it all the way. They, he hobbles to the end of the track and makes it to the finish line. He did not give up. He would not give up. And later, Redmond also ended his career with the British record for 400 meters, and he held Olympic golds. We see some points from these guys. Elisha was not going to give in to the idea that he did not, to, not need to be with Elijah. His call was sure and his question was soon to come and he knew that he was going to follow the Lord and do what was necessary. Now we find some things here in the next few verses that are important for us. Look at verse 5 with me here. It says, the company of the prophets in Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Does this sound familiar by any chance? We've heard this already. Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. He tells him the same thing. Shut your mouth. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan." And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. So we see that he would not give up. He stayed there with him. He did not let go of the older prophet. So here he is at Gilgal near the Jordan. Again, these same things take place. And so he heads for the Jordan River. It's five miles away from where he was. And Elisha was plain. He said, I won't leave you. He was determined and he was faithful. He was determined and he was faithful. Elisha refused to be left out. Do you refuse to be left out of the blessing that God has for you? Step back and think about that for just a second. Do you refuse to uh, not receive what God has for you? Hold on to what God has for you. Allow him to work in your life because his plan for you is for good. It's not destructive. It's not for evil. God's plan for you is good. Keep looking out for him. The second thing we see here is Elisha asked for the best. You ask God for the best? He did. Look at verse 7 here with me. It says, 50 men from the company of the prophets went 
and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Now Elijah starts talking. He knows it's going to happen. He's, he says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. So three times we find that Elijah had tested his successor. Three times Elisha has followed through and he stood the test. Elisha was persistent. He refused to miss out on everything that God had for him and for Israel. Remember, it wasn't just about him. It wasn't just about Elisha. It wasn't just about Elijah. It was about the people of God. It was about Israel. It was about, they, he was a prophet not only to Israel, but was on the international stage and had effects to other nations as well as he spoke for God. And so we realized that they understood it wasn't just about them. Elisha's vision went beyond himself. It's interesting to see that here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 11, if you want to note it. We can find that Christ was tested three times like Elisha before he started his ministry. Even Peter, after he had fell away from the Lord and after Jesus had been crucified, we find that Jesus tested him three times. And remember what he said to him? He said, Peter, do you love me? He said it three times to him. And he passed and he moved on. So we now we see the two great prophets, the master and the successor, stood at the banks of the Jordan. They were taking his prophet's mantle, rolling it up like a rod, kind of like Moses had the rod and parted the Red Sea, and Elisha, or Elijah struck the river. Elijah didn't part the waters just because he could. I'm sure he didn't wake up that morning and said, hey, let's see, what kind of miracle can I do today? That would be kind of fun. No, that's not the way he worked. It wasn't an arbitrary miracle. It was, had a purpose for it. He did it for a purpose. And so he does that and, and he parts the, and the Lord parts the water of the Jordan. And his aid, his faithful aid, his determined aid is right there beside him. Just as Jeter, Jesus and Peter passed their test, so Elijah, Elisha passed his. And since Elisha passed his test, the old prophet said, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. We know that Elijah, since he was going, he was, he had, it was almost his time. He was concerned that the work of God would carry on and that somebody was going to take that work. He knew that the Lord had called uh, Elisha his assistant. He knew that. But Elisha's reply suggests that he caught the intent of his master's question. He knew that his master was going and it was time for him to ask. This was the proper time. And so Elisha's reply suggests suggests this, and he asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He asked for the best. It may be that he realized that to lose Elijah was to lose one of the most important people at that time for Israel. 
it would have been an extreme loss. So his response was to ask for that firstborn's double portion. Elisha knew he needed power beyond his own to be able to meet the responsibilities of the awesome task that was set in front of him. And, and I think that Elisha's request for the, the best was based on his own selfish reasons. Sometimes we ask for the best for ourselves and for others. But most of the time they go together, don't they? Because of the community. We live in a community of people. We live in a community in the church. We live in the community outside. And so when we ask God for something, it shouldn't only just be for us. What we ask should affect others for the benefit of them as well. We, we had that opportunity uh, yesterday because people were blessed to some level. They were able to give, and then they were able to turn around and bless others with those backpacks. Joe Theismann was a uh, wonderful quarterback for the Washington Redskins back in the 1980s. I remember watching him as a youth. He had a 12-year career, and he led the team to two Super Bowl appearances. They, they won the first one in 1983, and then the second one, uh, they, lost, uh, they lost, and a leg injury forced him out of football in 1985. I remember it wasn't nice, and he was he he was entrenched in the record books for Washington, uh, as the all-time leading passer. But by the end of Theismann's career, it taught him a bitter lesson, and he said he said this. He said, "I got stagnant. I thought the team revolved around me. I should have known it was time." to go when I didn't care whether I hit Art Monk in the eight or in the one. He should have known at that point, and it didn't, it, didn't, uh, it didn't ring a bell in his mind. He said, when we went back to the Super Bowl for the second one, my approach had changed. I was, I was griping about the weather, my shoes, practice times, everything. Today I wear my two rings, the winner's ring and the loser's ring. The difference in those two rings lies in applying oneself and not accepting anything but the best. So for Theismann, he had done well with his, uh, when his team did well and he kept the right focus. But he lost his focus on his team and that's one thing that, that Elisha didn't want to do. He wanted to do the best for God's people. Do you ask for the best for God's people? As God's people flourish, you flourish. Ask Him for the best, not only for yourself, but those around you, because we are that community. It's important. Sometimes it's so easy to get our focus on our own self and our own needs that we miss out that, hey, I've got a friend beside me or a person that sits beside me, that that person needs a touch of God in their life. They need God to minister to them. And we see Him ask for the double portion. Look there in verse 10, he said, Elijah's answer in verse 10, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. I'm sure that Elijah at that point, after Elisha had asked the question, he probably steps back in his mind and in his prayer closet, so to speak, and talks to the Lord and says, okay, what do we do here? And he answers him this way. 
And really, really, Elijah was saying, I can't give this to you. I don't have the ability. There's only one that has that ability, and it's God himself that has that ability. And we see here that he says, if you see me when I'm taken, you can have that double portion. He's been tested, hasn't he? Three times he's been tested. Finally, we see that Elisha focused on God's blessing. Do you focus your faith on God and His future blessing for your life? Do you focus on Him and allow Him to work? Do you allow Him to open those doors that He wants to open that no man can close? Look at verse 11 and what he says here. It says, As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Verse 12, Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And and Elisha saw him no more. Then he took took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. And he struck the water. It divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. So we see that Elijah was taken up to heaven in this world when he was gone now. He knew it was coming. It would happen so fast that Elisha himself was shocked. And after Elijah was gone, his successor ripped his clothes in his grief. Formal back then, and all those years of serving this old prophet has ended. That time in the ministry of Elijah himself is closed, and he has this visual display of the chariots and horsemen there, and we see that that can show that God is there. It was God that was really protecting Israel all along. It wasn't just their military and all their all their forces that they had that protected them, but it was God, His plan and His work. He was keeping them. He was reminding, I believe, Elijah and Elisha that it was God who was in control. Elijah's mantle fell to the ground. His cloak falls to the ground and it's before Elisha's feet. And This younger prophet once had that mantle thrown around his neck when he was called, right? Remember that? We talked about it. It was thrown around him, and then he slaughters his animal, and he he burns his plowing equipment, and he says, okay, I'm going to come and follow you, and he does that. So, But now he doesn't have it thrown around his neck. It falls at his feet. What is he going to do? He has to make the choice. He has to step out in faith, and he picked it up. He picked it up and put it in his hands. It wasn't some magical relic, but it represented God's anointing on a man to serve him and his people. Ultimately, we know that Elisha would depend on knowing God for himself, not depending on Elijah anymore. He couldn't depend on another man's relationship with God to lead him. He was now in the driver's seat. You know what it's like to be in the driver's seat. If you know how to drive a car, you've had an opportunity to learn how to drive. And I know I started out learning how to drive an automatic transmission vehicle, of course. And 
and because uh, that was easier. Then my brother said, okay, now it's time for you, because he was older than me. He said, it's now time for you to learn how to drive a stick shift. So I said, okay, and so grew up on the farm, so we had a big pasture, and, you know, we could drive out there, and, and so he went, and we 1964 Chevrolet pickup, short bed. It was a cool little truck. Now it's a trailer. Anyway, so um, so we get in the truck, and he jumps behind the wheel. It was a three-speed on the column, on the steering column. You remember those guys? You got first, you got second, you got third, and I think you come up and back in reverse, all that. You don't care. But anyway, and so I get in this, and uh, I'm riding in the passenger seat here, and my brother is driving, and he shows me. You know, you let out on the clutch and you push the gas at the right time and, and then you start moving the vehicle. It's great. The engine keeps running, does it good. And, and I'm thinking, hey, that's not hard. I can do that. And I get over and you know what happens first thing. I let out on the clutch. I'm touching the throttle. Sure. Yeah, I killed the engine. <clears throat> it happened. So I didn't quite get it the first time. And so finally I learned how to drive. I drove around out there in the pasture for a while and then Finally, later on, I got all the licenses that I need, and then I started learning. To, I drove those 13-speed, 15-speed trucks, all that kind of stuff, and you don't have to use a clutch on them, which is kind of cool, and et cetera, et cetera. But I had to really want to learn to drive that standard transmission vehicle. It opened up a whole other world to me, right? What do you think about Elisha here? As you look at him, Elisha turns over, or Elijah actually turns the reins over to Elisha. But Elisha has to have that want. He has to have that desire. He has that uh, desire to be able to serve God to the, such a level. And, and he does, and he reaches out to God and allows God to work in his life. But he was tested, wasn't he? God will place you in positions of testing to challenge you. He also puts you in those places to build your faith, making you stronger. They're not always those comfortable places, are they? Just like when I was sitting in that old truck. That old truck was not very comfortable, but besides that, it was not all that easy to get that thing moving. And sometimes it's that way in our faith, too. Sometimes we get into situations and we think, <clears throat> excuse me, we think, how in the world, Lord, can you get me through this? How can I walk through this but you realize that if you depend on the Lord and you trust in Him in faith, that He will walk right beside you, allowing you to accomplish what He's called you to do in the first place. And maybe it is. Maybe it's just as simple as reaching out to some a neighbor and saying, "Hey, here I have this for you. I want to give this to you." Maybe it's something simple. Maybe that's a stretch for you, but you can do that. So we see Elisha. He goes over to the Jordan River, and verse 14 says, He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. In the Hebrew, it repeats the phrase that he struck the water, which is why some translations actually add, uh, the waters were not divided. So some, the old uh, Septuagint, which is in the, in the Greek from uh, it was 70 different uh, scholars uh, that translated over, and they actually put that in there. So these scholars say that it led to this question, not, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? It may have been that nothing happened the first time, so Elisha struck it again, kind of like me in the truck and letting out the clutch and killing the engine. Didn't work the first time. I don't know. 
One way or the other, Elisha stuck to water. Trusting God for himself, not relying on the old prophet, uh, but trusting God for himself, and the river parted. Elisha struck the water, and God did his work. Just as Elijah had done in front of 50 prophets in verse 7 and 8, uh, the waters parted. Elisha was learning for himself that God was with him. God was there. He was available to work in his life. Elisha didn't do this to see an arbitrary miracle. Just like Elijah didn't do that for an arbitrary miracle. There was a purpose why God would, why God would do this and allow this to take place. Elisha needed to know that God would back his ministry. And another thing is Elisha's, Elisha's ministry must be accepted by Elijah's students as well. But we see that he had in these several places. Well, let's look at this verse 15 here. As we're coming to the end, some of you are thinking about baked beans. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, they were showing respect and honor to him because they understood now that God had anointed Elisha to actually be the prophet. And then over in verse 16, it says, Look, they said, we, your servants, they call themselves his servants now, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. And he goes on, there's a little argument goes on there because Elisha knew, hey, we know he's gone. And in verse 17, it says they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but they did not find them. The 50 students instantly recognized that prophet's succession to Elisha, accepted his leadership. Elijah's actual translation to heaven without seeing death had to be more difficult to understand. But for us, as followers of Jesus, knowing the New Testament, we know we see him again, don't we? We see that in the transfiguration when Jesus is there with Elijah and Moses. What a powerful point to show that he still lives in the presence of God. So today, how does this really relate to us? Well, we think about this and we look at some of these characteristics, these three things for Elisha himself that, that really should challenge us. First, Elisha refused to be left out. He didn't hold back when God was giving him an opportunity to be blessed in this life and to bless others. Then this new prophet, Elisha, asked God for the best. He wasn't going to settle for a little when God's plan was bigger than him. Finally, Elisha focused on God's blessing. He picked up the mantle he didn't just leave it there on the shore. Don't you think he had the option to leave the mantle on the shore? He could have probably just left it there. But he chose not to do it. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do? Are you going to refuse to be left out of God's blessing for your life? Are you going to say, God, you know what? It doesn't matter what comes my way. No matter what test I face in this life, 
no matter how difficult it is, no matter what this world has to offer me, I am not going to give up on you and the blessings that you have for me. It doesn't matter what your struggle is. It doesn't matter what your test is. Those tests come all the time in our lives. They come in many forms and many fashions. But one thing we must not do, we must not give up. Because we are people of hope. We are people of faith. Knowing that our God is right there with us and He is strong and He is able to save and He is able to walk with us when times get tough. He's good. He's faithful. Are you going to ask God for the best? Now, I don't mean being greedy and just waste it all on our own selves. But asking God for the best so that we can be a blessing to others around us in this life that we live. God has blessed us to be a blessing. God has provided us. We may not even have a whole bunch, but what we have can be a blessing to others around us. Finally, are you going to pick up God's call and His plan for you? It's laying at your feet today. Would you stand with me this morning? God has a plan. God has a call for each and every one of us. He wants us to follow Him. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to allow Him to work in our lives so that we can be the people that He has called us to be. Are you willing to accept that call that He has for you?